The problem that we have in the church and in Christendom is that we're so busy celebrating how distinct we are and what we bring to the table and how we can leverage all of these things that we get backdoored into pride. People ought to sense and smell the compelling nature of humility. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Bible teacher and author Crawford Lorenz. Today we head to 1 Peter chapter 5 for a look at what should be very prominent in our spiritual wardrobes. Peter says we're to clothe ourselves in humility. Please stay with us as we learn how we're to exhibit humility toward each other. Crawford is leading us through a series called Better Together, the One Another's of the New Testament. And so far we've looked at how we're to love one another and forgive one another. If you're new to us, Crawford has been in church and organizational Christian ministry for over 48 years, recently retiring as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. He's authored such books as For a Time We Cannot See, Make It Home Before Dark, and Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, co-authored by Crawford's wife, Karen. Crawford now serves as president of the organization Beyond Our Generation, which seeks to encourage and empower today's up-and-coming Christian leaders. Well, let's go to today's study titled, Clothe Yourselves in Humility Toward One Another. Again, our text, 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. Uh, this series is a study of the 59 one another's in the New Testament. I always give a little, little disclaimer here. Uh, they're approximately 59. You say, how can it be approximately 59? That's a pretty specific number. Well, it all depends on how you translate some of these one another's. So there are about 59 one another's in the New Testament. And the purpose of these one another's, as you connect the dots, has to do with the corporate, not only just how we relate to one another as members of the body of Christ, and you do know that we are members of one another, that we're in community with each other. It's not just internally as to how we relate to one another, but it is also the stewardship. Here you have it. Here you have it. It's the stewardship of our corporate witness to a watching world. These one another's are very important because, because they accelerate the integrity of what we say and who we say that we really are. It gives, it gives substance to what we say about our Christianity. And I've been saying all along, one of the problems we have in the Western world is that we're hyper-individualistic. We just think of this me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. Know that there is a corporate relationship that we have with one another. I began uh, at the beginning, and at least in my mind, uh, I chose to begin this series by talking about loving one another with brotherly affection from Romans chapter 12. And the reason why I chose loving one another as the first one another is because I really believe that it is the first one another. All of these other one another extends from love. They all are expressions of love of love. Now, let me define biblical love. Biblical love is not, not just simply uh, good feelings, although it, 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 does, it does involve that. Biblical love, love in the scriptures, is associated with personal sacrifice. In fact, I would say this, there is no such thing as authentic Christian love unless there's a presence of sacrifice. It's not about negotiated relationships. It's not about quid pro quo. It's not about you do this and I do that and we'll be great. No, 
love, and this is how I define love in the scriptures, and it's very important for us to understand this, love in the scriptures means to disadvantage ourselves for the comfort of another. Love in the scriptures means to disadvantage ourselves for the comfort of another. And so all these other one another's, they extend from that. They really do. You, you, you smell and sense a bit of sacrifice in all of these other one another, whether it's forgiving one another or not speaking evil against one another or all these other one another's. So now we come today to 1 Peter chapter 5, and I just want to I want you to leave that open there for a moment because I'm actually going to read from Philippians chapter 2 as the introduction to what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, Peter says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I think we need to set this up here because Jesus obviously is the, the supreme, ultimate illustration and example of authentic humility, of authentic humility. Sometimes when we read Philippians chapter 2, uh, we, we'll pick it up down in, in verse, verse 6, and we just think that uh, we're, that's, a, that's a discussion of, of the the incarnation of our Savior and what he accomplished on the cross, but we, we rip it out of its context. Really, what, what, what Paul is using, verses 6 through 11, as an illustration of the relationship that we ought to have with one another. It really is all about humility. So let me just read it, beginning at, picking it up in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being, uh, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now here you have it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now here's the illustration. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Once again, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here you have it, the model of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, what he laid aside is the model for biblical humility. It is the model. It is, it is how we are to relate to one another. Now you go over. Now let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter picks this whole subject up here when he talks about the sweet spirit of humility. In fact, I would say at the very beginning, just to summarize everything that I'm going to say here in a few moments, and that is that the sweet spirit of humility is what people should feel when they come within our orbit. The sweet spirit of humility 
is what people should feel when they come within our orbit. The very first smell that we should emanate, sense that they should feel, is not how smart we are, not how gifted we are, not how experienced we are, not how distinct we are, not how accomplished we are. The very thing, the very first thing people ought to feel and sense when they come around us is the core character and nature of our Savior, which is humility. Which is humility. That's what they ought to sense and feel. And the problem, the problem that we have in, in, in the church and in Christendom is that we're so busy celebrating how distinct we are and what we bring to the table and, and what gifts and talents and abilities we have and how we can leverage all of these things that we get backdoored into pride. When really, when really, we don't lead with our rights. We lead with a relationship. And people ought to sense and smell the compelling nature of humility. And that's the point that Peter is unpacking here. You're going you're to hear some graphic terms that Peter uses about humility. Now, before we dive into verses 5 through 7, actually, I am going to go back to verses 1 through 4. You'll see why in a moment. But before we dive into this, let me just say this. That I, there are three words that I think outline what Peter is describing about humility in this section. And so let me just give you the three words. They're just to help hang some, some thoughts on these. One is that humility is, is described as a duty. Secondly, a demeanor. And thirdly, dependence. Duty, demeanor, and dependence. Now, the central one is the second one, demeanor. Humility is described as duty here. Now, hang in there with me. Look at verse 5. Peter says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, whenever you see likewise, actually, that is an indication. You need to go back in the context and find out what, what, what is he saying? What is he summarizing here? What, what do I need to do? What is he contrasting uh, uh, my, my, my perspective with? Here he's talking about duty. Now, this is where I want to push the rewind button and go back up to verses 1 through 4 because he says likewise. In verses 1 through 4, he outlines the role of leaders in the church, of elders in a local church, and how they should function and how they should carry out their responsibilities. When he says likewise here, he's saying, okay, look, just as these elders and leaders function this way, that's not just true. That's not just true of elders and leaders. That's true of all of us. That's true of all of us. So what does he say? Well, let's read these, ver these verses together. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, that's verse 1, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, here's how you shepherd them, and this is where the like, this is what the likewise is connecting to. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, 
as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What he's describing here is that he's telling these leaders, don't you dare operate from position or power. What he's saying is, leaders, careful, don't operate from position or power. You operate from character. How you dispense the responsibilities that have been called, you've been called to. A leader is to dispense those things not from a place of privilege. He dispenses those things from a calling and a, a, to character. He says, this is how you exercise oversight. Well, let me, let me just click off. Let me just click off a few, three, four characteristics that he says here. And this likewise attaches to us. This is, should be our demeanor. This is the way in which we should approach what we're called to do as well. He says, you do this, number one, willingly. Nobody's putting a gun to your head to serve. You do it willingly. Why the, the ellipsis here is because it's a privilege to serve Christ. You do it willingly. And so also, he says, likewise, we relate to one another and serve one another willingly. Number two, you do it with pure motives. Notice the line, he says, not, not with, with shameful gain. In other words, he says, don't you dare enter into relationships with hidden agendas. Don't manipulate people. Don't put 75% of the stuff on the table and, and, and then 25% under the table so you can orchestrate an outcome. That's disingenuous. Not for shameful gain. You, you do it with a pure heart. You do it because they are valuable. And that's the way you lead. You don't herd people to a direction that you're not telling them that you're leading them to. So not for shameful gain. You do it with pure motives. Then you do it also submissively. He says, not, not domineering. Leaders must be submissive. And I would say this, this sounds crazy, right? Nobody would ever write this in a management book. But leaders are submissive to the people that they're leading. You don't beat people up. You don't use your position to slap people in line. You don't use the powers that God has given to you to demonstrate how superior you are. That's nonsense. By the way, the only reason why, the only reason why, and I've said this here before, the only reason why anybody ever has a position of leadership is not for another line on their resume. The only reason why we have a position of leadership and the only reason why we have been stewarded with power or privilege is that we use that to underscore, hear me, the dignity and the value of the people we serve. It is an immature, prideful leader who uses a platform for personal recognition. And so when he says, likewise, likewise, this is the way you relate to one another. You don't go around beating people up and telling them how stupid they are and how they're incompetent and comparing yourself with them and you ought to be like me. Who are you? 
And by the way, there's this line here, and you do it with a sense of accountability because he says here in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, uh, he's talking about reward here, but he's also talking about accountability. He says, ah, remember, you don't have the right to treat people in the old kind of way. Why? Because you're accountable. You're accountable. Nobody's ever not accountable. We all are. And so he says, likewise. Likewise. The point that I'm making here is that this duty that we have, we, uh, humility is not optional. It's not one of these little nice suggestions. You know, it'd be helpful if you came across a little bit more sweet and humble and this kind of thing. It really would, you know, make the atmosphere better and people would be, you know, more appreciative of who you really are. And they'll be drawn to you and you'll create more followership if you come across that way. So it's a great, no, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. It is a duty. Likewise. So secondly, humility is described as a duty, but number two, humility is described as a demeanor. And as I said, this is core. By demeanor, what I mean by this is identity. Humility is not just a strategy that we use. Notice what he says here. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, verse 5, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you. He brought it out everybody, leaders, elders, everybody. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe you. You know, the word clothe there. Uh, you know, obviously it's a command, it's an imperative, but the word clothed there is an interesting Greek word. It is, the word is incomboma, incomboma. You know, what in the world does incomboma mean? Well, it, it was, it, it's, the, the, that, that's the word that refers to the apron of a slave. Isn't it interesting? It, it's, it's when people see you, Crawford, they should see a servant the apron of a slave. It's your appearance. The first thing that they see, you know, just for the sake of the analogy, is that they, they don't see designer labels. They, they, they see the garment of a servant. I can't help but think that Peter had in mind John chapter 13, that, that experience in the upper room. You know, when we preach and teach that, we, we miss one little very significant detail very significant detail Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples right it says it says that it says that here's a detail that we miss it says that 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 when they got there and you do know it was the job of the lowliest of all the servants to wash the feet of the invited guests that was a that was a lowliest job there when they get there and there ain't no servants there I mean it's just Jesus and and the twelve it, the, the, the detail that we miss is, is that it says that Jesus took off his outer garment. Now, what makes that significant is, according to my research and the culture of the time there, uh, when, when servants showed up to do housework, what they would do is that they, 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 they would take off their outer garment. Now, it's not profane, and they were not you know, stripping down or this kind of thing altogether. Underneath the outer garment was was, was just a regular, plain undergarment, and they worked around the house with that. Now, can you imagine? Here you have the Lord of history, 
the one who created these disciples, who would die on the cross in their place and for their sin. He could have told any one of them, get a basin of water and you wash feet. He says, I want you to see me, God Almighty, as the eternal servant. And I think that's what Peter had in mind. And by the way, I don't want to play with this too much, but you know, you know the reason why you wear an apron. And nobody wears an apron. Well, you know, maybe cooks and chefs and things like that. But my mother wore an apron. And you know the reason why you wore an apron. Why? Well, because you were doing stuff where you might get splattered on. Humility is dirty business. Being a servant means that you get splattered on. That's the reason why humility in some minds is not very attractive. And yet, here you have Peter says, all of you, income boma, put on the apron. Put on the apron. You see, humility is a working virtue. You, you don't know somebody's humble if they tell you how humble they are. In fact, if they tell you how humble you are, they're, they're one arrogant sucker. So <laughs> humility is not something you talk about or just write about. Humility in the scriptures is a working virtue. Humility is the prerequisite to service, and service is the practice of humility. Humble people serve. Uh, humility is in the verb position. That's what humility is. You don't know, have seminars about humility. You don't know, you know, have just small group discussions about humility. Humility is service. It's who you are. Humility is not a strategy. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. Humility is described as a duty, and it's described as a demeanor, an identity. More about this next week in the second half of Crawford's message, Clothe Yourselves in Humility Toward One Another. This is all part of Crawford's series, Better Together, the One Another's of the New Testament. Thank you so much for your emails. Here's one from Davina responding to Crawford's recent message on forgiving one another. She writes, I've been listening to Living a Legacy on Transworld Radio. I live in the UK. I was so blessed by this perfectly timed message. My family deserted me following my husband's decision to try to kill me several years ago. I was deceived and lost all of my property and ended up literally homeless. But the Lord saved me in a wonderfully amazing way. Glory to God. Every day I pray, asking to be forgiven and forgiving everyone, not necessarily in that order. Again, this teaching on forgiveness was God's timing for me. May God continue to bless you. What a wonderful, loving God we serve. Well, Davina, how grateful we are for God's work in your difficult and challenging life and that you're finding help in dealing with past hurts through Crawford's teaching. What a wonderful, loving God we serve indeed. Hope you'll take a moment to write. A short email will let us know that you value this time each week in the study of God's Word. You can connect through our website, livingalegacy.org. If you find that there are times when you can't join us on radio, you can also listen to past programs anytime through the stream on our website, livingalegacy.org, or through Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Well, let's get together again next week right here. 
For Crawford Moritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.